Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Welcome to this new episode of the Stargate Archives podcast, and within it, an episode of Stargate Theatre. This week, I'll be looking at the 2013 movie, Deadly Descent, a.k.a. Abominable Snowman, a.k.a. Yeti. Yeah, with a title like that, you just know it's going to be fun, don't you? This movie premiered January the 26th, 2013 in the USA, in Japan, March the 31st, and in France, April the 18th. Directed by Marco Makilaxo. He's also directed It Came From The Desert, which I've got to watch because I remember the game. Border Town and War of the Dead. He's also a writer and producer and has extensive resume in music videos. The movie was written by Nate Atkins. He's wrote Super Tanker, Cold Fusion, Christmas Prince, Parts 1, 2 and 3. Also an editor on Masters of Horror and 24. The movie's composer is Christopher Holden. The stunt coordinator is Parvin Parvinov, and most of the movie was shot in Bulgaria. To qualify for Stargate Theatre, it's got to have at least one Stargate actor in it, and the star of this movie is Chuck Campbell, who of course played Chuck the Technician in 44 episodes of Atlantis and a single episode of SG-1. He also appeared quite often in Sanctuary. More recently, Aurora Tigarda Mysteries, Jason X, great movie, and Just Cause. The second lead is Adrian Paul, him of Highlander fame. Love the actor. Right then, Deadly Descent, Abominable Snowman, Yeti. I will call it Abominable Snowman, because that's how I first saw the movie many, many years ago. Right then, so sit back and enjoy. A low-key start to the movie, UFO International Pictures presents The Abominable Snowman. And we see a very misty-covered mountaintop and two climbers. Well-equipped, they look like they know what they're doing. Excellent cinematography, by the way. Really does look like they're on top of a mountain. Shouldn't be surprising if you go to film in Bulgaria. You're going to make use of the locations. The two climbers, Brian and Peter. Peter is played by Jess Steele. And Brian is played by Chuck Campbell. We know him best from Stargate Atlantis as Chuck the Technician. It's nice to see him leading the movie instead of second billing. The two men continue the climb. They get to a point where Brian decides to take a few minutes rest. Peter goes on, we see moments later, he's climbed 20 or 30 feet up a ridge, the rope is going over the ridge, suddenly it starts being pulled, almost yanking Brian off his feet. Something is going on. He continues to call for his friend, the rope continues to be pulled, it then breaks, falls to the floor, and looks at the end, I'm not sure if it's burnt or bitten, either way we hear a scream we get a close-up of Brian's face as he looks upwards in terror. And then we get a CGI beast, roaring, mouthful of teeth, fade to black. <laughs> and then we get into the opening credits. Again, Chuck Campbell, first on the call sheet. Great stuff. The credit sequence is some reasonable music overlaid on video of Brian. Maybe a year, two years later on. He looks a little bit different. Looks a little bit older. Doing research on his laptop. Looking at the mountain, mysterious accident, we see him go and get a gun, a 9mm, and looks at helicopter charter. And that's when the movie begins again. Helicopter flying through the sky. Let's see where this takes us. 
As the helicopter climbs higher into the mountains, we meet the pilot, Mark Haggerty, played by Adrian Paul. You really got to watch Highlander, the series again. Excellent series. I've always been a fan of Adrian as well, his work, his acting. He mentions serving in Iraq, the fact that his wife's left him as well. It seems him and Brian have been friends in the past, but have not stayed in touch. He's a little concerned that Brian is going to this particular area. Doesn't quite believe that he's only going there for skiing. Plenty of places that are better for skiing, so my guess is that he knows some of the uh, story. Brian lost his friend. Exactly when, we're not quite sure yet. He steps down, and while he's still talking to him, Brian takes his headset off and leaves the helicopter with his skis. Mark looks a little upset, but engages the power, lifts off, and leaves Brian to it. So he's in the middle of nowhere. He sets off. We then get some nicely filmed footage. I assume the stuntman skiing down the slopes. Some nice slow motion footage as well. Expertly shot on location. And we finally cut back to the actor proper. And again, still in the middle of nowhere. We see him looking around. Desolation, mountain, ice, fog. And then footprints. There are footprints. Vivid flashbacks of Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> and on closer examination, they are not human feet. They look like, well, monster feet, if that is a thing. Brian gets a dramatic look on his face. I got you. Or, it's got you, Brian. You are alone on the mountain with it. Granted, you've got a 9mm, but that's a bloody great big monster. You know, I don't really think Brian's thought this out very well. He's gone up the mountain all alone in the hopes of finding this monster, this yeti, a vulnerable snowman, if you will, armed with just a pistol. He hasn't got any support, he hasn't got any infrared or anything like that. He's literally walking around the mountain at night, hoping to come across this monster. Oh, hang on a minute. We can hear it. We can hear sort of a growl. Unfortunately for him, the growl is echoing off the cliffs and the mountains around him, making it difficult for him to locate. He's spinning around 360 degrees, <laughs> and naturally, it makes its appearance when he's looking the opposite way. CGI isn't good. Isn't good at all. In fact, it's pretty difficult at the moment to figure out exactly what it looks like. He gets hammered. He flies through the air, lands against some rocks, and the scene cuts and refocuses on a view of the village from the mountains. We're introduced to Nina Tanner, played by Lauren O'Neill. She's been in Casualty, Silent Witness, Midsummer Murders, plus many other shows British viewers will recognise. She goes to Brian's apartment. She sees the military photos on the wall, the maps and the research he's doing. She also sees the brochures for the helicopter service, including the phone number. So that will be her first port of call, I assume. Nope, my mistake. She goes to a local bar. We learn that in this town you either join the army or you get up to trouble. And it looks like she's joining the army, going into the academy. It's at this point we notice another man coming to the bar. She turns, recognises him, calls him Rick, gives him a big hug and she asks him where the others are. Get the impression that these are friends of her brothers, come to help. Rick is played by Nicholas Bolton, another actor with an impressive resume in British television. Casualty, Game of Thrones also a voice actor. The two of them have a long conversation about Brian. Something happened in the past that triggered the group to break up. It seems there might have been a relationship between Nina and Rick, or at least a perceived one that Brian didn't take to. Either way, something's wrong with him. Neither of them really know or understand what. The only clue at the moment is the helicopter pilot. He knows where he took him. Which is uh, convenient because he just walks into the bar. And why not? And let's give the actress credit. She's making the most of this role. 
She doesn't have a name in the credits, only bartender. It's Zara Dimitrova. She's been in Red Faction Origins, Lake Platin, the final chapter, Company of Heroes, and Jet's Dream. The usual? Yeah, make it a double. Oh, nice one. Milk. So is he on the wagon, or is he intending to fly today? More to his story than we see on the surface. And he spots Nina, and he goes over to say hello. The meeting is a little awkward. It seems he also knows Rick, definitely a past. We learn more of Mark's background. He was also in the military, helicopter pilot. He was involved in a crash, whether that was in the military or in civilian life, we're not quite sure yet. Seems serious, although he wasn't to blame. Since then, he's taken a backseat just doing charter flights, taking the easy way out. Seems very uncomfortable about talking about it. But with the mountains being closed down because of the weather, and Brian all alone up there, they are indeed worrying. We cut to the mountains where we see two skiers descending. They are search and rescue. They make contact with helicopter that's doing a flyby. No sign of Brian, but there are some tracks. They're approaching avalanche area, so they're warned to be very careful. They both are confident they can ski down this particular slope, and off they go. And again, the movie, the director and the cinematographer, they are putting together some very nice skiing sequences, both close up and from a distance. This looks like it was filmed on location by expert skiers and good cameramen. One of the skiers pulls up, and as luck would have it, he spots a phone. He goes over, picks it up, starts to talk on the radio, and we hear a growl. Bill, I think I found Brian. Yowza, he's dead. <laughs> I can't give very high marks for the CGI Yeti, but they are making it move very, very fast. You're not having to be forced to concentrate on details. It's big, it's hairy, it's got big teeth. That's all you need to know. The second skier pulls up, gets back on his radio, tries to make contact with his partner, nothing. And then we hear the breathing and the growling. And another one bites the dust. Sorry about that. <laughs> and we see the foot of the Yeti, lots of fear. It looks very, very big. And it moves incredibly fast. So we're at the body count of at least two on this trip. Still no sign of Brian. We're back in town, back at the bar. Nina and Rick are back having a drink when three other people come in. These are Stacy, Erlanda and John. Comrades, I believe, from the time they're military, although they look very young. Stacy is played by Elizabeth Croft, Erlanda by Sean Teal and John by Sam Cassidy. Still concerned about Brian, that's when Mark comes in. He gives them the news that the search has been called off. They've lost two of the rescue team. They believe there might have been an avalanche. Nina, of course, is desperate now. She thinks Brian, a brother, is probably injured on the mountain. And Rick proposes that the unit goes up. And they need some way to get there. But Mark isn't very happy. He doesn't want to fly them there. He's happy doing his charter runs. He's not interested in anything really dangerous anymore. He had a tragedy in his past. This is when Nina joins in. You tried to search for my father when he was lost in the mountains. You weren't able to save him, but now help her to save her brother. It seems obvious that Mark has a soft spot for Nina. He's going to help. And that's exactly what he does. We get some footage of the CGI helicopter. Doesn't look too impressive, to be honest. This is where they chose to save the money. I guess hiring a helicopter in Bulgaria. Rather pricey. So they chose the cheaper, less aesthetically pleasing look. Anyhow, the group are on the mountain, snowboard, skis, guns, or to find a wayward Brian. Surely nothing can go wrong. The production quality on the mountain is very impressive though. 
the location shooting, the look of it, the snow, the mountains, crisp, clear, HD picture, very impressive. And so the group go on, looking for Brian. Nina is out, casually shouting and screaming into the air, Brian, Brian. Rick points out that, not a good idea, this is an avalanche area. <laughs> You'd think Nina living in a town below the slopes would know that sort of thing, despite being concerned for Brian who, quite frankly, doesn't really deserve this level of commitment from his friends. They're risking their lives to find this guy. They descend the mountain, some on snowboard, some on skis, and they reach a point. Unfortunately, the GPS systems aren't working. The ravine is cutting the signal. Might be a problem when they call for help at some point, which I'm betting they have to. They pull out the map. Nina's having a good look at it. Then when she realizes where they are, this is perhaps something she should have figured out well before now. Muckleshoot Ravine. What's wrong? I think this is around where my dad used to take my brother hunting. And here we get a bit more of the backstory. When Brian got off the mountain, his dad dead, he didn't talk about it. Nobody knew what he saw, what he experienced. So they thought it was an avalanche or a ravine. Not quite sure how his father died. And that's when avalanche. This is the first time we've seen the production hit some limits. Obviously they can't film on a real avalanche. This is stock footage. The compositing leaves a lot to be desired, but it's still not too bad. Considering how well they've done in other effects, I can let this go very easily. They're rapidly descending the slopes. They come to a rock outcropping. A number of them spin round, get into its shadow. John, however, is further down and the snow hits. In the aftermath, we see one by one, each of them pulling themselves out of the snowbanks, but no sign of John. Looks like he's gone. John's gone. Naturally, John is the one with the sat phone. Stacy is totally distraught. She's throwing caution to the wind and wants to follow him down the ravine. Rick, however, pulls her back, says he'll go, and he repels down. God knows how far down. He actually just finds John's body, and John is alive. John just got hit by an avalanche. John went off a ravine and fell amongst jagged rocks. I'm serious, jagged rocks, 20, 30 feet high. Yes, he's blooded, he's battered, things are broken, but he's alive. No, that is stupid. Rick gets on the radio and the rest of the group rappel down to join them. Okay, that, I'm sorry, that's, this bit's stupid. It really is. The lad should be dead. So they make a stretcher using his skis, his broken leg, they secure it. They're going to carry him down the mountain, try to make the rendezvous with Mark, although the storm is closing in. No sign of the sat phone, so that's not good. And we get a quick flash of a bonable snowman, aka the Yeti, somewhere in the vicinity. For reasons not quite explained, Erlander is very nervous. He feels that something is stalking him. Whether it's his time from the military, hyped his sensors up, he's scared. Rick, however, well, he knows different. And unfortunately, you can guess what's going to happen. Hey! There's nobody here but us! Just us! You got that? Yeah! I got it! And that's when the Yeti jumps on top of them and starts mauling them. Yeah, very, very, very brutal. The best way to describe the Yeti is, imagine an adult male silverback gorilla, but three times the size. Very, very nimble, very aggressive. John, well, he's gone. The Yeti, obviously feeling a bit hungry, a bit peckish. 
Stacy is screaming. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there's no going after him now. It's hard to imagine that Brian is going to be alive if this is what he's had to deal with. These group of people may have served together during the military, but they're not exactly all on the same page at the moment. It's very doubtful they're all going to survive this night on the mountain. But as luck would have it, as they're carrying on, they come across what looks like a chalet, uh, a small hotel. Surprisingly, the door is unlocked. This is where they're going to rest while the storm passes over. This was here. Why didn't they agree to use this at the starting point or the base camp? That'd have made a lot more sense. Anyway, it looks very spooky. Maybe shut down for the season or, well, probably not abandoned because it's fully furnished. We haven't seen Brian for a while. Could this be where he's at? Brian, are you okay? There's something out there. I know. What do you mean you know? That's why I'm here. Well, I don't know about you, but if I was Stacy, I'd be seriously pissed off right now. Brian looks like he's got a scratch. Her fella's dead, eaten by whatever. Two other search and rescue guys are dead, eaten by something. Ah, oh dear Brian. Keeping this all to yourself, using this as a, a vendetta, solo revenge mission, that's cost people his, their lives. Shame. Brian, however, does take the time to lay out some of his research. The building they are in was built by a guy who had seen this similar style of chalet in Europe. One day he walked out his door, never returned. Throughout the decades there have been other mysterious disappearances, deaths that have been put down to avalanches, people falling in crevices and ravines. No bodies were ever found. And of course, Brian and Nina's father, he perished on the mountains as well. Peter, Brian's friend, he disappeared. There's a predator and it eats humans. Erlander, of course, is, well, <laughs> I won't say relieved, but he knew it. He had this feeling that they were walking into the death. To be honest, though, these are not very good soldiers. If these are ex-military, they didn't seem to learn much while wearing the uniform. I think they would have been better if they had a slightly older cast. Brought a bit of maturity to the roles. Anyhow, they're there now. The beast is outside. It ain't going anywhere. My guess is they're going to have to kill it to get away. Rick and Brian are having a strong exchange of opinions, while Orlando is near the window. Yep, <laughs> you know what's coming. The Yeti smashes through the glass and rips into his back. Screams, terror. The two men pull out their 9mm start firing. Uh, doesn't seem to be doing anything good. Unfortunately, there's no fortifications, because as Brian says, he wanted the beast to come in here, into a confined area where its agility would be negated. Well, no luck with that. They're trapped. There is a back way out. They make their way towards the wood store out through the back. But of course now they're in blizzard conditions with no thermal protection. They're in just jumpers and whatever pants they're wearing. This is not good. They're not going to survive this for very long. And my guess is that the Yeti as a predator is a very good tracker, very good sense of smell. Yep. Lunchtime. Well, that was unexpected, wasn't it? And now they go back into the chalet. Very little ammunition. Brian didn't plan this out very well. He knew something was up here. He probably should have brought more heavy caliber weaponry. They're in trouble now. <laughs> As if there wasn't before, of course. We move to a new location, the headquarters for the search and rescue. Mark makes his entrance, greets somebody called Wade. I think he's his former boss. Mark is drunk, very drunk. And, well... Let's say Adrian does not act this rollout very well. This is maybe his worst acting performance I've seen. 
get a little bit of background, Wayne did fire him, drunk on the job. Mark goes on to say he was a better pilot drunk than they were sober. He also tells him that he took Rick and the group up to the ridge before the storm broke. Wayne isn't very pleased about that. They knew there was a storm coming. Shouldn't be taking anybody up there. Obviously it must be some sort of redemption arc for the character. He's guilt ridden, that's why he started drinking again. And now he's trying to solve his conscience by coming clean. That may not work. It better not work. I was never drunk when I was flying. Really? Except for that one time. Yeah, except that one time. Oh, okay. One is probably enough when you're flying a helicopter. It's bad enough when you're driving a car. Back at the chalet, Erlander loses his head for a minute. Grabs one of the guns, gets into a bit of a standoff against Rick. He's taken down. And then we notice that the roaring stopped. The two creatures have left. Maybe they're bedtime. <laughs> Seen some external shots of the chalet. They've got smoke machines, wind machines. It does look incredibly spooky. Very impressive. We can see daylight through the partially barricaded windows and doors. And that's when the Yetis return. They make mincemeat of the doorway. And they pursue the humans into the kitchens. <laughs> Very apt. However, they manage to hold them off. And the Yetis back down. What now? Where are they going to go? I'm not quite sure how this is going to uh, end very well for anybody, except perhaps for the Yetis. The movie at this point doubles down on the uh, emotional turmoil of various members of the unit. It doesn't quite pay off in this sort of movie. We haven't got enough background to understand what some of these people may have gone through during their time in the military, what interpersonal relationships had been created that factored into the problem with Erlander. Rick grabs himself a cleaver. If he's going to die, he goes down fighting. Stacy gets a great big chopping knife. At this point, Nina opens the back door. It's the pantry. Right. As the uh, Yetis are breaking down the kitchen door, they go into the pantry. It looks like they're going to be trapped, but nope, there's a trap door out as well. So, yeah, pretty annoying that Brian didn't think about this before. Ah, the trap door doesn't lead to the outside. It leads down to the basement and the boiler room. Okay. And at this point, Erlander, well grows a spine or just doesn't care anymore he's still got the knife he makes a dash for the door rick tries to stop him erlander says they're after the weakest one first and he's gonna go and they let him we're not quite sure exactly what's wrong with him but this seems out of the blue he uh, goes through the door into the kitchen he jams the door makes sure they can't come after him and holds the knife up towards the yeti that's standing before him he looks scared terrified he shouts in rage swings the knife and we hear the results as his body is literally torn apart. I don't really believe this guy was in the military. At least he didn't seem to have any knife skills. Emotional issues were serious. Did they come from his time serving? Were they always there? We don't really know. All we know is that one of the guys has sacrificed themselves. I suppose the only thing you can say is that they bought him a bit of time while they eat him. <laughs> All hail, Erlander. They make it into the boiler room and they hear the creaking of the floorboards. As the two Yetis leave the building, it seems Erlander was right. Satisfied with the kill, they've gone back to their cave, I guess. Hope they haven't gone back to bringing reinforcements. Hasty morsels, free for the taking. Well, this could be the chance to get away. It's still dark though, the storm is still there. But do they dare stay? Hmm, tricky. Okay then, they have a plan. They can't go anywhere in the storm. The Yetis know that, so they're stuck in the hotel. The hotel, which is full of gasoline, 
alcohol, flammable liquids, machinery, tools. They may not be guns or explosives, but they are weapons. These are military people, these are resourceful, and they've got a few hours. Montage! Blimey, it's amazing what you find when you look. Three grenades, probably brought back from the war by the guy who built the chalet. They might come in handy, they're still alive after all. We get a bit of chit-chat between some of the characters, nothing too important. Nina is questioning her idea of joining the military. It seems Brian had an issue with Nina and maybe Rick. A little bit of melodrama thrown in for good measure by the writers here. I don't think it's going to make much new difference. You're not going to sell us on these people if you haven't already. We go back to the search and rescue unit. It looks like Mark has sobered up. Good for him. Looking at the weather monitors, the storm's passed. But Wayne doesn't want to send anybody up there because at 10,000 feet it could still be very, very bad. And none of his pilots are really that experienced at flying in that sort of weather. Of course, Mark is. But Mark's a drunk. If these people are as well trained as you say they are. <laughs> They're not. They'll be alright. They definitely won't be, mate. Nope, not on your life. We're back at the hotel. A light. The storm has passed. Nice clear skies. Still some clouds though. The wind's moving them swiftly across the sky. Four of them now, armed with, well, whatever. And stop making lots of noise. They want to attract the yetis. Bring him into their trap. And there we go, the two yetis approaching, but hold. Brian takes a moment to steer one down, shouting, offering a personal challenge. Not quite sure if the yetis understand that, or maybe they're just responding to a prey animal that's not running, which is <laughs> the usual modus operandi. They finally get the full attention, and they make a beeline for the hotel. They've got to draw them in. Make them chase them. Stacy throws a large claw-like hammer. It bounces off the head. So much for that. They carry on running deeper into the hotel. And the first trap is sprung. A yeti steps on a, a piece of floor which collapses under its weight and it falls into the boiler room. Stunned unconscious. Somehow, Stacy's been left behind. The second yeti grabs her and smashes her into a wood pile. Slams her down. Yum, 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 yum. Lots of blood. Uh, it doesn't look like she's going to survive that encounter. The other three of them run through out the back door. They block the door, the Yeti's panning on the door, but it's holding. Brian pulls out one of the grenades, throws it into the boiler room, where it bounces once, twice, three times, right amongst the oil cans and the boiler itself. They make a run for it, and kaboom! The grenade goes off, ignites all the flammable liquid, the hotel is vaporised. So that's hopefully at least one Yeti down, maybe both of them. Stacy, if she was alive, she ain't now. And we get the age-old slow-motion actors leaping towards the camera, propelled by the blast of hot air and compressed air from an explosion in the background. Very poorly composited into the image. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, some of this. The location shooting has been phenomenally good. The CGI, not so much. Right, so, is this the three that's going to survive this adventure? Let's find out. They get their ski gear. Thankfully has survived the explosion. Gear up. They look around, look at the wreckage of the hotel. The grave of one of their friends. Two of their friends, actually. But that's when they see something in the shadows. In the smoke and the flame. And then we hear something. And one of the Yetis has survived. Holy crap. It's not even singed. And it starts coming after them. They turn tail. Ski for your lives. Ski for your lives. Thankfully they're near a large slope. And... 
down they go. And again, lots of excellent footage. The stuntmen and women do an excellent job. The Yeti is closing on them, despite them moving pretty fast. Perhaps a lot of the slow motion jumps over rock outcrops, etc. is uh, slowing them down. They take a rather big jump. Brian and Nina navigate it successfully. Rick falls awkwardly, comes off his skis, maybe with a broken leg. They stop, they look back. The Yeti is above them, looking down, ready to pounce. Rick, ever the leader, pulls a grenade out of his coat. His legs busted up, he's not going anywhere. Nina and Brian, well, they've got to do what they've got to do. They head on down the mountain as the Yeti approaches Rick. He shouts defiance, gallops, gets him closer and closer. Oh, and then he throws the grenade. I expected him to hold the grenade and take the hit. Make sure the Yeti was right on top. We hear the explosion from Nina's point of view, and we see an avalanche. And the two of them head down the mountain as fast as they can go. Eventually they find an outcropping, they ski inside its cover, the avalanche passes them by, and it looks like they're gonna live to tell the tale. You okay? Yeah. You think you got it? Uh that would be a no. And that's why when you're faced with a dangerous beast rushing towards you, which you've got to kill. You keep the grenade right to you. You take the first bite if you have to. And when you blow it, it'll vaporize it and yourself. Throwing it, that's like trying to have your cake and eat it as well. Rick, you failed. This next shot is beautiful. We see the whole mountainside. We can't see anything, we can hear it. And then the camera zooms in and we see the Yeti. The Yeti's huge, but against the mountain backdrop, it is so insignificant. But it's coming. <laughs> Although they do seem to have a bit of time, it is a ways away. And this is where we get a reasonably good piece of melodrama. Brother and sister facing death. Brian finally tells Nina to go without him. It's what Dad would have wanted. Probably not sure about that, but the most favour their little girl. But Brian's going to do what he's got to do. Make sure his sister survives. We see Nina further down on the slope, and we hear a helicopter. Mark has finally made it up the mountain. He better hurry though, because Nina's looking into the mist. Something's coming. And yet, yeah, it's the Yeti. The Yeti that managed to get past Rick, and now get past Brian. Yep, rely on the woman to save herself. Go get him, Nina. She's roaring down the mountain and getting closer to the helicopter. And Mark is actually hovering just beyond the little ridge. And she's getting closer and closer, faster and faster. She launches herself off the ridge straight into the passenger compartment of the helicopter. <laughs> Beautiful. What Mark wasn't expecting was a... 800 pound yeti jumping onto the skid of the helicopter <laughs> moments later. <laughs> One in lights, blaring, uh, weight limit, I assume, exceeded. Yep, they could be in trouble. You baby son of a bitch! Nina's ramming her board into the yeti's hands, trying to dislodge him. No luck, the damn thing's hanging on for sheer life. Christ, where'd Rick come from? Rick survived. Yeah, perhaps if he'd have done his job right, they wouldn't be in this mess now. But he's got another grenade. Well, hey, well done, Rick. And he throws it at the Yeti, which swallows the grenade whole. Now they've only got to get rid of the Yeti. There's going to be a bloody big explosion a few feet from the helicopter. It loses its grip. It falls two feet, maybe, before it explodes. It gets, well, vaporised. The explosion totally destabilises the helicopter. It starts spinning out of control. Looks like it's going down, but no, no. Mark managed to regain control and stabilise the flight. As the helicopter flies off, Rick explains what happened to him. The Yeti, being intelligent, recognised the threat of the grenade. 
backed off. He still threw it though, but no luck. That was when Mark flew by and picked him up. They flew over the spot where Brian had faced down the Yeti, but they don't explain what they saw, but you can put two and two together and realise that they probably saw a huge amount of red staining the ice. Nina's heartbroken, but Brian got his revenge. Price was very, very high. And hopefully there aren't any more Yetis uh, up there, but if they, those were two adults, male and female maybe, they missed the opportunity to do that sort of epilogue, you know, where you see little <coughs> Brian in a cave or something like that, but that's where the movie ends. How they are going to explain this to the authorities, I am not quite sure. In a brief span of time, a lot of people have died. A lot of people went up the mountain and never came back. Granted, there was a huge storm, and maybe they could fake it. But I'm pretty sure the helicopter will have blast damage on one side at least. I wonder if they will lie. I suppose they might have to, otherwise they might end up in a loony bin. Hmm, interesting. Interesting way to finish the movie. And was it a good movie? It was a well-made movie. The location shooting in Bulgaria was excellent. The skiing sequences, excellent. The special effects, there wasn't a lot. The helicopter was CGI, that wasn't very good. The Yetis were CGI, they weren't very good. And there were a few composite shots where they needed the actor's face during a skiing sequence. That was obviously green screened. Not too bad. Considering everything else pretty darn good, I'll give them a pass for that. Chuck Campbell, solid lead role. Adrian Paul, again, love the actor. He cannot act drunk though to save his life. <laughs> and funnily enough, his accent came through when he was trying to be drunk. Lauren O'Neill as Nina, good role in Ferrer and the sporting cast. Pretty good, although, like I said earlier, I think they had to be older. They had served in the military, doing a tour, basic. They probably should have been older. They certainly didn't act like they were former soldiers, well-disciplined. Never mind, though. I suppose when you're casting, you don't always cast for the right type for the role. You think what will sell. Okay, then. That was Deadly Descent, a.k.a. The Abominable Snowman. Overall, a decent movie. I can find many ways to waste an hour and a half that were not as satisfying as that. My thanks for listening to the podcast. I'd love to hear what you thought about the movie. You can get in touch. Stargatearchives at gmail.com Stargatearchives.com We are on Facebook and Tumblr. Do a search for Stargate Archives or The Gatecast. Just a general search for Stargate. Go deep diving in the rabbit hole that is all things Stargate. On Twitter, we are at The Gatecast. And Twitter is our primary social media portal. You can find the podcast listed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google, Podbay, TuneIn. And on the website, we've also got RSS feeds you can manually copy and paste into your chosen podcatcher. If you want to join me on the podcast, I would love to have a few guests. If you want to talk about a particular Stargate episode, pick one, let me know. We'll arrange a time to chat over Skype. If you want to be on the Stargate Theatre aspect of the podcast, Find a, a B-movie, science fiction, a monster movie which features Stargate actors, and we can talk about that. Okay then, folks, once again, thank you for joining me. That was The Abominable Snowman. Until next time, I'm not sure what I'm going to be covering next time, but until then, I've been Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>